0: Everyone, this story too has a happy ending. I'm going to read first from beautiful prayer demand by Paramahansa Yogananda from Whispers from Eternity. This is, Dance in me the dance of infinity. O Mother Divine, I have learned to love thy dance of destruction. For I see now that what is destroyed is my own ignorance and folly. Thou hast shattered again and again with thy war dance of destruction my fragile cage of bones and flesh and consigned it to crematory flames. Thou hast done so smilingly to show me and everyone that our souls are ever free and cannot be burned or broken. With thy mercy thou hast stripped away, sometimes seemingly with harshness, but always with loving purpose, the countless hardened, mud-encrusted covers of delusion that coated us. I appreciate now thy dance of devastation, Mother. Together let us cremate my every desire, frailty, weakness, and finitude forever and ever. I'll join thee, laughing, in thy dance of evil's destruction. O Mother, since nothing more is left, now of my finiteness, for thee to destroy, dance in me, thy dance of infinity and of cosmic love. Beautiful, isn't it? Um, I will also read, Swamiji sent a little letter uh, yesterday, and uh, I'll read the Part about his uh, Easter blessings. Dear ones, I wish I could bless each and every one of you with a happy Easter. Easter is a time symbolizing the eventual resurrection of our little individual selves into the one infinite self. I suggest at this time particularly that you study and meditate on the photograph of Master titled The Last Smile. And consider this amazing fact. He knew that in just a few moments he would be leaving his physical body forever. There is no thought of self in his eyes, of personal regret, of sorrow. Clearly visible in his eyes and in his facial expression is his unconditional love for all mankind his readiness to return again and again, as he put it, as long as one stray brother sits weeping by the wayside. Such a love for ego-centered humanity is not even conceivable. And this was the love of Jesus, too, felt for all humanity. People weep for him and his suffering on the cross. His suffering was only for humanity that blindly rejects God loves God's love and substitutes for it vengefulness and hatred <clears throat> well the story of easter easter is in many ways the most glorious time of the year in in a religious sense you know there's the beautiful celebration of the birth of christ But then Easter comes at a time of year when there's a kind of a, it's always the spring festival. It's during a time of winter when it seems that there's kind of destruction. The leaves have all gone in the late fall and the grasses are dry and brown and apparently dead. And so everything seems to be dead. But then every spring, Comes a certain kind of a resurrection. So life renews itself and comes again. And so it is in a certain sense that the real message of Easter is one of the renewal of life. And that's on a cosmic level. It's on a, a planetary level. But more important, it's also on an inner level and a spiritual level. There's a certain... Tim did it so beautifully that I don't need to tell the story of Easter. And besides, we all know it anyway. But there are a couple of things that it's helpful to touch on that he didn't touch on in his story. And that's that... What a week it was. Last week was Palm Sunday. And that was Jesus' triumphal entry Into Jerusalem, where the crowds were saying, Oh, the king has come, glory, oh, hosanna, and throwing palm leaves in front of him as he rides down on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, and everybody's acclaiming his greatness. Then within a week, he's not glorified anymore, he's condemned, he's captured, he's judged, and he's crucified. And then he's, as Tim said, he told that part of the story beautifully, put in a cave, dead, and then resurrected. So what a week. That has to be one of the most dramatic weeks in all of uh, living history that we know of. But there are really some very deep and significant aspects to that drama first on an outer level, and then I'll talk a little more on an inner level. But on an outer level is the duality of this world, the Palm Sunday, the Good Friday, which is the crucifixion, and then the resurrection. It's like there's a high, and then there's a low, 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 and then there's a high again. And that wave motion, up and down, is the way that life the way that uh, kind of outer uh, creation has been created, that movement between two poles, duality. Om is the representative that in, in sound because sound creates a wave. And if you see the sound wave on a oscilloscope, you see that same kind of motion, a high, a low, a high, a low, and in between. Everything in life is built on this principle of duality. And so we see that this morning we wake up, or last night it's raining, it's dark, it's cold. We wake up this morning and it's foggy and still drizzling, and then the sun comes out. Uh, Yesterday, before the rain, was beautiful, sunny, high, then low, then high again. So Master talked about how Easter also represents in all of these aspects of duality the resurrection of the higher quality. And so there's illness. When you're ill, you might think that you're never going to get well, especially if you've had the flu this season. (laughs) You have this sense that I'm never going to be well again. But then you get well and you've seen hundreds of other people who've gotten sick and then gotten well, and so we understand that there's duality involved in that. Night and day, you see that every 24 hours. Sunny, rainy, sunny again, you see that dozens of times a year. And so with all of these other dualities, we see that there's a wave-like motion but the one that we don't see is life and death. And that seems to be the biggest mystery of all because we don't see the resurrection. We hear about it, perhaps, in the story of Easter. We hear about it if we read the autobiography of the of a yogi and we read the chapter on Sri Yukteswar's resurrection. Lately, there has been Um, published a number of books about 25 years ago, I suppose it was. There was a doctor, uh, Dr. Moody, who began writing about the near-death experience that thousands and thousands of people have had, but they didn't know. We have a friend who had had a near-death experience and didn't know that Anyone else had ever had anything like that because it was isolated. And then the near-death experience, life, life after life, began to come into the consciousness. And just recently, Davy and I have read two beautiful books. One is called My Proof of Heaven and the other Dying to Be Me. And I would recommend that you read both of those books. But what we see in those books, what we see in the resurrection, what we see is the living example of death and then life after death. So the real teaching is that there is no such thing as death. In fact, there's no such thing as duality except on a lower plane. But this apparent death doesn't really exist but it represents for us the primal fear that drives so many many actions in life so many of the things that we do are based not just for us as humans not just because somehow we're dumb and we can't quite get it even though we read in the Bible or the autobiography it's it's part of the whole manifestation of creation all the way down to the amoeba level they're trying to maintain life and avoid death and so there's this deep deep resonance within us of trying to do that and trying to hold on to life is one of the things that drives us we read that or we're told and we went to a lecture where we were told that the average American—this was years ago—I'm sure it's more now—the average American spends a hundred thousand dollars toward the end of his life to extend his life an extra thirty days. Isn't that amazing? That represents the fear of death, if nothing, statistically. It's been proven. There's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics, as (laughs) Mark Twain said. So statistically, we've proven the fear of death. But we all know what it is. But this fear of death is because we have not yet resurrected ourselves into a higher state of consciousness. When we can do that, we understand intuitively that there's no such thing as death. Not only is there no such thing as death, that the real death is what we're living right now. The real death is the diminution of consciousness, the darkening of consciousness, and we're in the lowest state that we're ever, ever going to be in for all of eternity. We've already passed through that low. We're coming out. And we should look forward to death. We should welcome death because it doesn't really exist. But that isn't the way God set up the world because in all these other things, night and day, health and illness, uh, rain and sunshine, then rain and sunshine again, in all of those, there's a continuity of consciousness and so we can see, oh well, it's this way, I remember, then it's this way, and so I can see that there's a continuity of consciousness. God is chosen, and it's one of the great mysteries, it's why apparent death is so unique. He's chosen to draw over our minds forgetfulness. So you and I have lived thousands and thousands and thousands of lives, but we don't remember them. In fact, in the Gita, there's a famous saying where Krishna is talking to Arjuna, and he said, the difference between us, Arjuna, is that even though we have both lived thousands of lives, I remember my past lives, and you do not. And so this miasma comes over us, And even though we know on a spiritual level, on a soul level, on an intuitive level that there's no such thing as death, nonetheless this fear and miasma, forgetfulness of that fact comes over us and then we're in a position where we're willing to spend $100,000 to stay in a sickly, hurting body for another month. What craziness, huh? Nonetheless, that's what we're dealing with. And so these great ones come into the world in order not just to tell us, because they've been telling us for a long time, and they tell us as loudly and as clearly as they can, there's no such thing as death. There's no such thing as darkness. There's no such thing as the lower qualities. All of those are just delusions. The only thing that exists really is love and joy and God and wisdom. And they come as expressions of those higher qualities. And so the story of Easter for us on an outward level is that there is no such thing as death. And God has come in a manifested form in someone who knows that and remembers past lives and goes through a, an apparent death experience and then resurrects and shows his disciples and the whole world that there is no such thing as death. Tim didn't mention the part of the story that even showing doesn't convince people. Those disciples, those close disciples, when Mary came and said, He's alive, they said, you're, you're nuts. He isn't. I don't believe you. Then the other two ran, John and Peter, and they saw him. They came back to the other disciples. They said, He's alive. The other disciples didn't believe them either. And then it took Jesus coming in, manifesting himself in the room, in the physical form, to make most of them believe him. But one of them didn't even believe that. And he had to go, and Doubting Thomas had to go and stick his finger in the wound, in the in Christ's side, in order to finally believe, yes, this is Jesus, and he has resurrected. And so, the great ones come and they tell us these things, but there's a part of them that says, ah, uh, I don't know. I don't believe that. My experience is different because I know we don't remember that we've done this 10,000, 100,000 times, but we know we're really sure of ourselves, and therefore we doubt. So they come to do that. And so on the level of the story of of Easter, the outer level. It's a beautiful story, and God comes to reassure us that there is and never can be such a thing as death. There is only love. There is only compassion. And please do read these, especially this proof of heaven, because his experience is so strong and so palpable that in What appears to be death, you go into a realm where you are so completely loved and completely embraced and nothing you have ever done has been judged. Nothing you have ever done has been wrong. It's only, God only has the deepest, deepest love and compassion for us. Now there's also an inner level to this story because it's, easy to leave it, you know, well, Yogananda saw Sri Yukteswar, and Jesus' disciples saw Jesus, but what does that have to do? That's somebody else some time ago, maybe thousands of years ago. What does that have to do with me? There's an inner drama because all of the players in these great dramas are not only real and historical, they also represent deep spiritual aspects that are present and alive within us right now, right here, and will be. So Christ, Jesus, represents the Christ consciousness that's within us, and that is trying to teach us and awaken us from the miasma of sleep and delusion and fear and anxiety and to tell us that all there is is love. And his disciples represent those qualities in us that accept that and follow it. But then, as Master taught in the interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita, we have thousands of other mental citizens that reject that We have the mental citizens that want to somehow accept the thought form of society around us. And that's represented by the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and those who want to lift themselves up by wealth, by power. And so all around us are the messages that say, If you only have more money, you'll be happy. If you have more power, you'll be happy. If you have this, if you have these outer things, that's the way to happiness. Don't believe those crazy guys that come and say the happiness is within. It isn't really within, it's out here. Come on and I'll show you how to make a fortune. Of course, you're going to have to pay me a little in order for me to show you that, but that's the way the world runs and that's what's represented by these tendencies these thought tendencies that want to keep it that way and they are greatly threatened by the Christ consciousness and says you don't have to do all that stuff you don't have to pay them any money happiness is within and so all of those thought citizens are vying for our own inner consciousness and then we get a few of our thought citizens that will go along and strongly go along become disciples of the Christ consciousness. And even they, in the depths of the difficulties, forget. And it's very dramatic. You know, his, perhaps his strongest disciple, Peter, the rock of intuition on which he built his church, even Peter... Three times on the night of his being captured, denied the Christ. Denied so that, you know, that, think about that inside of your own self. How many times have you denied your own spiritual worth, your own spiritual aspirations, your own Christ consciousness? And when things of the world come, pressures come, whatever it is, when difficulties come, we deny the Christ consciousness that's within us. And so the others too all hid. They were fearful and they all denied the Christ consciousness in one way or another. I find it very interesting and I'll end with this. What is the quality that first saw Christ resurrected? The person we know is Mary Magdalene. What quality does she represent? Pure love. And so when we're in difficulty and when we're in a period of spiritual dryness or whatever it might be where we have denied or pushed away our spiritual life, there's one quality that will lead us back to the truth and that's love. And so do everything that you can to increase your love for God, your love for Master, your love for Jesus, and your love for others. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. It is love alone that will really save us.